As much as you may want to, you can't go back and change the past. Today, Pastor Daniel reminds you that you can't change what's already happened, but you can choose differently from this point on. He exhorts you to make a difference in this generation by living out your faith in real ways. You'll see that knowing the Bible isn't enough, you must apply it. When the truths of God's Word permeate your life, others will be impacted as you're changed for good. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Leviticus chapter 10 as he continues his message, Special Fire. When you see instances when God's judgment happens instantaneously, it's almost shocking because you and I are so used to God's long-suffering love. We're so used to God being patient. Like when you look in the book of Acts chapter 5 at Ananias and Sapphira, remember them? In, in the early church, people were so moved, not because the the, the apostles were saying, listen, you need to sell all your stuff and, and take care of each other. The Holy Spirit just filled them up and they were concerned for each other. And so people were just taking their land and they were selling it and they were bringing the money in just so that people could be provided for. It was a God's grace in their midst. And then Ananias and Sapphira, they did the same thing. But instead of giving all the money, they kept part of it back, but they lied. They were being hypocritical. And they lied. They said, yeah, we gave all of it. And both Ananias and Sapphira died that day. It's interesting. Peter said, look, it's your land. You're allowed to do what you want with it. So they didn't die because they kept part of it back. They died because they lied. And we read that. We're like, whoa. But what's amazing is, is that God is so long-suffering that this doesn't happen to all of us. The fact that you're here, every single one of you, you here today, those of you watching online, maybe in 20 years if the Lord tarries, you're listening to this on Whatever medium is going to be here in 20 years. 20 years ago, there was eight tracks. How many of you guys got those? You had them. You don't have many more, though, do you? I want one of those in my car just for fun. You know what I mean? Just for retro. But it's like, we, that was 20 years ago, man. We don't have those things anymore. Some of you don't even know what a cassette tape is. You know? So in 20 years, whatever, however you're listening to this, man, we're all on borrowed time. Because we live in rebellion against God and praise God that he's given us one more moment, even this moment right now to say, God, I want to be right with you because I realize I'm on borrowed time. And that's because of God's long-suffering love and his grace. But it's interesting that for the early church with Ananias and Sapphira and Acts chapter 5, we saw something similar on Mount Sinai. Do you remember that after the law was given? It was this great time. 
But then Moses went up into the presence of God to get the the Ten Commandments, those ten words on those two tablets of stone. And while he was tearing for four days, the people got bored. And they went to Aaron and said, oh, Aaron, you know, we don't know what happened to that guy Moses. Will you make us a, a golden calf to worship? And Aaron was like, okay. And then Moses came down and the people were in the midst of revelry, worshiping this calf. And 3,000 people died that day. And God's judgment was instantaneous on those people. But we're not used to seeing that. So when we, when we see it here in Leviticus chapter 7, we think, why would God do that? But the better question is, why does God tarry? Why is God so patient with you and I when we are not deserving of that patience? No one can say, God, you should give me 20 years or 40 years or 80 years or 100 years. That's sheer grace that we have that time. And it's important for you and I that we make good use of that time. Not only to get right with God, but be a force for God's kingdom to come into this world. To roll up our sleeves and serve self-sacrificially. To not live self-centered self-focused lives, but to say, Lord, I'm going to live a God-centered life. And because I'm living a God-centered life, I'm going to care about other people. And I'm going to invest in other people. And I'm going to work for the betterment of humanity and God's glory. Because we're all on borrowed time. And as the old proverb says, when soon this life has passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Now, don't think that that means that for you husbands and wives... You love your spouse as unto the Lord, and you've done that as unto Christ. For those of you who are parents, you invest in your children, because you've done it unto Jesus. At your job, as we saw in the book of Ephesians, you don't do your job for your boss or for your paycheck, you do it as unto the Lord, and your boss gets the benefit, and you get a paycheck, praise God. Your company pays you to be a missionary there, that's so cool. You don't even need to raise support, man. It's got to do a little paperwork. Man, we need to live our lives unto Christ on the bar time that he's given us. Now, I'm here to tell you, listen, when I say things like that, like many of you, I think to myself, man, I wasted a lot of time. For me, I wasted 24 years doing my own thing. And you can't, you can't go back and redo those years, but you don't want to let the mistakes of yesterday change what God, how, how God wants to use you today. We put yesterday in God's hands. We accept his grace and his forgiveness. We can't go back and redo the years we've squandered, but God's not even asking us. He's saying, look, today's the day. Now is the hour. So if you're hearing this, you're thinking, man, I've wasted so much time. Listen, yesterday's over. God's given you grace for that. If you're in Christ and you have today and you have tonight and you have tomorrow, chart a new course with the Lord. But we need to make good with the time that God has given us. This judgment was harsh, but it was just. Nadab and Abihu were deserving of this. And it's interesting, and I think it's important that we realize this, that God doesn't take all this time to give us all this information in his word for us to neglect it. I think that's a huge lesson. I mean, we've literally gone through like 25 chapters of details haven't we, on Wednesday nights, about all this. And right as it all gets going, these guys go off on a rabbit trail on their own. 
So I'm here to tell you, the safest and best way to live is really close to the book. When God's word says, this is what I want, say, Lord, I'm going to honor this. I'm going to obey this and bring my heart around. God didn't go through all the trouble, not only of inspiring human authors to write it, but having it being preserved. You know, you got to remember that for the first 250 years or 275 years of Christianity, they were persecuted. Like being found with a copy of the letter to the Ephesians carried the death penalty with it. Do you realize that? Like a Wycliffe, who was one of the first translators of the Bible into the common tongue, he died for doing that. So sometimes we think, oh, well, yeah, it's just the Bible. No, it's God preserved his word for us. And we don't want to neglect that. Nadab and Abihu, they knew what God wanted, but in the moment they got excited or they were drunk or whatever else was going on and they chose to deviate from what God wants. And I'm here to tell you that in every slight degree of deviation from God's word that we live, we are held accountable before God. And that's why we're under that death sentence. So when God says, love me with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself in the ways that we don't do that, we are held to account for that. So, brothers and sisters, let's stay close to the book. I would much rather, when I get to heaven, God says, look, you took my word a little bit too stringently. I mean, either way, we're getting in by grace, right? So no one's getting in by works. But I want God to say, you know, you you are a little bit too hypersensitive about that. That's a good thing. Because our lives should be lived intentionally. And God has given us the instructions. He didn't just leave it up to his general revelation in nature where I'm supposed to look at a tree and say, okay, I wonder what God wants me to do with my spouse as I look at this oak tree. Right? No, he's given me Genesis 1 and 2 to show his intention in marriage. And and then he's given me all these different biblical marriages. And then and, and then he's giving me Proverbs 31 about what a godly wife is. And then you have Ephesians 5, and you have 1 Peter chapter 3, and you have Matthew chapter 19. You have all these places where God says, this is what I want. This is how I want it. This is what I want you to do. And you go and you say, okay, Lord, what does this look like? How do I do this? He's given a specific revelation. And God gave the priests a lot of specific revelation. And Nadab and Abihu, right as it starts, takes a left turn. And it's with dire consequence. I mean, look at what Moses says to Aaron in verse 3. This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. See, Moses realizes that at the heart of what Nadab and Abihu did, it was a lack of an awareness of the holiness of God. And if there's anything that we need today in the 21st century, I believe it's a recovery of God's holiness because God is holy and we are not. And because God is holy and we are not, for us to say God is holy, we don't even quite know what that means. And we're so used to, as Nietzsche said, God created us in his image and we've been returning the favor ever since. We want to create an unholy God, a a God like us so that we can identify but what's amazing is, is God said, you're never going to be able to get this, so I'm going to come as a man. That's what Christmas is all about. 
It's God saying, I'm going to bring my perfections and my holiness and my glory. I'm going to put skin on it. And he's going to grow up in, in Nazareth 2,000 years ago. He's going to walk around. He's going to teach. He's going to do all these things. And he's going to die in your place. So when you say, what does a holy life look like? Read the Gospels. Look at the life of Jesus. This is what God's holiness in human form looks like. We need a recovery of the holiness of God. And and listen, when God is not regarded as holy, then we do not live in such a way that glorifies God before people. And brothers, sisters, listen, this is important. The Christian church has not done a great job of representing God in the world. We haven't done a great job of it. I remember before I got saying, like, oh, what about the Inquisitions? And you know, you, you run out the all the list historically of the things that the church has done that hasn't represented God. Holy wars of all sorts. And it's really easy to, to cast dispersions on the history of the Christian church. Because we haven't gotten everything right. But we can't go back and relive what happened 200 years ago or 1,500 years ago. But we are responsible for this generation. And we need to live out our lives inspired by the Holy Spirit saying, God, I want your holiness to be displayed for my life so that people will be, see your glory in our lives. And brothers, sisters, that's a tall order, isn't it, for us? We can't just be content with biblical information. We need that information to be integrated into our lives so that we live it out before people in such a way that they see God is holy. That if there is a God, he would be like their God. And I believe that God is doing this in our midst. I believe God is calling us, you and I, day in and day out as we're convicted and pricked in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, proving that we're God's kids. God says, no, no, no. No, no, that's not not who you are. That's not who I am. He's amending our ways. If you're here today and you've been convicted by the Holy Spirit today, that's proof you're God's child. You know why? Because just as a parent disciplines their kids, God disciplines us because he loves us. When I tell Obadiah he's not allowed to swing a hammer at his sister, which I caught him almost trying to do the other day, he thought it would be funny. He had a hammer. He's like, yeah, you know, it's his boy, you know, it's the swing that. Like, oh, buddy. When I do that because he's my child and I love him, I don't want him to hurt himself. Or his sister. And so when God's spirit pricks our hearts and says, no, 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 that's not for you. It's because he loves us. Because we're his kids. He's, res- he's responsible for our growth. And he takes that seriously. But we need to integrate the truths of who Jesus is and what he's done. And we need to integrate it. We need to put it on our feet and in our fingertips, in our minds, in our mouths. So important. Because when we live out a life knowing before whom we stand, God is held as holy in our hearts and then he'll be glorified before people in the way that we live and that we move and that we have our being. 
And what's interesting is you notice at the end of verse 3 that Aaron held his peace. So even though Aaron, and we're going to see in a moment, was brokenhearted over the death of his sons, he held his peace because he knew that Moses was right. That what Nadab and Abihu did was against the holiness of God. It did not promote God's glory in the midst of the people, which, as we've been saying, was the priest's job, right? Their job was to represent God before the people and people before God. They had that mediatorial role, just like you and I do. Now, look at what happens in verse 4. Then Moses called Mishael and Elazaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. So now Moses called upon two first cousins of Aaron to come and dispose of the bodies of Nadab and Abihu. Now, why did he do that? Because, as we're going to see next chapter and going forward, that when a priest touched a dead body, they were considered ceremonially unclean. And they were not able to officiate the sacrifices. And so, instead of having Nadab and Abihu's brothers, Aaron's other sons, touch these bodies and be ceremonially unclean, or having Aaron do it, they invite other people to get involved in the work to dispose of these bodies so that the temple or the, excuse me, the tabernacle sacrifices could continue. So you could suppose that these were the next of kin. And this is the only time we ever meet these guys. But they were called upon for an important reason. And I think what's beautiful as I thought about these two men you know, it reminded me of someone like Simon the Cyrene, who all we know about him was that he carried Jesus' cross for a little ways. And what it reminds me is that each one of us is important in God's kingdom. That Moses was Moses and Aaron was Aaron, but Mishael and Elzaphan, they were Mishael and Elzaphan. They had work to do. And it's important for us sometimes, I think we can get so focused on like Aaron and Moses. I was just talking to someone like, man, you know, like, so as a pastor here, man, that must be amazing. It's like, well, no, I'm just doing what God's called me to do. You got to do what God's called you to do. It doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter how much screen time you get. We all have to just do what God's asked us to do, to, to just roll up our sleeves and do what's in front of us. God called Moses to do what he was doing, called Aaron, and God called upon Michelle and Elazaphan to do a certain work. So, brother, sister, whatever God's called you to do, just do it. And do it as unto the Lord. With no pretense, with no fanfare, just do what God's asking you to do. Just like these men. And they did it. They totally did it. This is verse 5. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. Now in verse 6. Then Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his sons, do not uncover your heads. Nor tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. Verse 7. You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. Now, so now in verse 6, 
Moses instructs Aaron and Aaron's two surviving sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, not to mourn the sudden death of their son and brother. So covering your head and tearing your clothes, all of those were, were signs of, of mourning and grief. So, I mean, imagine this if you're Aaron. You just lost two sons instantaneously at a moment of great triumph for your family. And Moses says, listen, can't mourn. Let the people mourn. You guys can't. Notice he says, you can't even leave the tabernacle courts. You're anointed for ministry. You're anointed for ministry. So he says, you need to stay right here lest you die. Don't go out. The anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. Now, I, th- I spent a lot of time with this. and I, I mean, I, when I prepare to teach, I read a lot. I read a lot of commentaries and history, and I'm always learning. But I spent a lot of time thinking to myself, man, this must have been really hard for Aaron and Eliezer and Ithamar. I mean, these are little brothers. They just watched their big brothers die. Aaron just watched his eldest sons die. Why would God say, you can't mourn, but the people can I think one of the reasons God did that is because God knew that Aaron, Eliezer, and Ithamar had a very unique calling. And there wasn't any time for mourning because they had a ministry that needed to be done. And the way I want to apply this for us, I I want to be gracious because I realize, like, if you've suffered grief or loss, that's hard. But you know what? Sometimes you just got to show up all broken. Sometimes when you just show up, God can use you even if you're all mangled when you get there. And I think if you look in your Bibles from cover to cover, you find people who just keep showing up. I mean, think about Peter. Peter had these amazing experiences with Jesus at Jesus' moment of need. Peter's all out of sorts. He pulls out his knife. He cuts off the high priest's servant Malchus's ear. Jesus has to heal the wound that Peter inflicts, and then Peter flees, he denies Jesus. And then Jesus restores him and cooks him breakfast. You know, it's like, but Peter keeps showing up. And in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit gets poured out, who's the guy who preaches? Peter. I mean, if there's anyone who wouldn't have gotten cast to be the preacher at that juncture, it was Peter. I mean, can you imagine if they were like sitting around, like deciding who's going to preach on that Pentecost day? And they're like, well, it can't be you, Peter, because you couldn't even say that you knew Jesus some 50 days ago when he was, when he needed you, you were saying, I don't know the guy. I don't know Jesus. Who's... You can imagine that Peter's whole life, his whole ministry, he showed up mangled. When Jesus needed me the most, I wasn't there for him, but he still showed up. Thanks for tuning in to Jesus is Real Radio. Today, Pastor Daniel continued his look at the difficult subject of judgment. He reminded you that though you can't go back and change what's already happened, you can make a difference right now. God is asking you to be a spokesperson for his love to the people around you. You learn that when you walk closely with the Lord, others can see God and will be drawn to Him. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here to tell you about my book, Upward, Inward, and Outward. 
You've heard me talk about these three directions for living again and again on Jesus is Real Radio, and I think they're so important. I wanted to write a book to explain even more. Upward, Inward, and Outward teaches you the importance of developing a right relationship with God and how that teaches you to love yourself well. From those two healthy relationships can spring a well of love for people around you, and that's what transforms our world. Find out more and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel encourages you to keep showing up in spite of your brokenness. There'll be many times in your life when things seem too hard and you feel like you can't do it. Pastor Daniel will remind you that God is with you. He will show up for you as you take those hard steps and move forward. God loves to use broken people to display His glory. What an encouraging promise. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.